0: construes specific investment advice and if you do require advice you should seek an appropriate advisor be that a financial planner or a tax advisor or possibly a lawyer hopefully
1: someone will ask me a question later on about the national dental care program um you know
0: when we look at what happened
1: (laughs) with no chuckles no chuckles
0: This episode of the CE Drive podcast is brought to you by Business Career College. Business Career College is a leading provider of financial services education, including the Life Insurance Licensing Program. The entire set of courses leading to the CFP certification, which is actually where I spend most of my time teaching and where I have met many of the participants in these podcasts. We also provide continuing education credits, Live classroom and webinar instruction in support of the elder planning counselor designation and a few other odds and ends in support of folks in the financial services industry. You can find the full catalog of course offerings at www.businesscareercollege.com. And welcome back to the CE Drive Podcast. This is Jason Watt. Uh, in this episode, which runs a little over time, I apologize, you're going to have about an hour and 10 minutes in total of content here. And i have covid right now so i have this cough i apologize i'll try to keep it out but it's uh anyways um so we have um for credits here uh, life insurance credits in all jurisdictions except alberta this would be good for an accident and sickness credit not a life insurance credit this is group benefits relevant content so enjoy um it'll be uh financial planning content from fp canada uh professional development content from iRock and insurance content from the MFDA side Um, it'll be approved for an Advocates credit as well and the uh, object is a Christmas present from my wife I love these gifts that my wife gets me Uh, like a leather-bound notebook here she likes to buy me these nice notebooks every year so a notebook is the object today Um, and let's roll into the interview because it's very long All right. I'm joined here today. I've got a couple Davids on the call. We got uh, Dave Patriarch, of course. This will be another episode of the CGIB Navigator podcast. And then David Stevenson, whom I've just had the pleasure of meeting. David, uh, I know you're a sort of small town dentist at Carlton Place in Ontario, right? Yes. And uh, can you give us a little intro about who you are, some background?
1: Yeah, I, I've been, uh, I graduated in 1986, so I've been a dentist a long time. I, I did, uh, I went through the military, so I did uh, work, work overseas as a dental officer in the Canadian uh, Forces Dental Services for, um, uh, but then, in returning to Canada, uh, I have my wife and I are both dentists, and we have practiced in the little town of Carlton Place since 1990. I still continue to practice, although I've slowed down a little bit. Uh, I've gone from an owner to being an associate, but I've also been very heavily involved in organized dentistry since 1994. Uh, and that includes anywhere ranging from I'm I'm a recent past president of the Ontario Dental Association. Uh, I've also been chair of their economics advisory committee, which is the Ontario Dental Association's committee responsible for oversight of the fee guide. So that may be of value to this podcast. And I've also been the recent chair of the Pandemic Recovery Working Group, which is very much responsible for helping providing solutions and workable problem solving during the pandemic. Uh, and so I like, uh, hopefully I bring some value to the podcast. So fire away with whatever questions you can.
2: You will for sure. <laughs> I'll uh, lead you or leave you with the uh, the hard questions here at the end. Um, I guess maybe just you can start out, and I apologize, I've got a bit of a cold, so this is going to be uh, uh, less of me and more of Jason today. But um, I, um, can you help underst- help people understand the difference between the ODA and the college um, and kind of roles of both parts, because quite often I hear people treat the ODA like a regulatory body and, and it's not, um, but maybe you can tell a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. yeah. And, and Dave, that's an excellent question. And believe it or not, a lot of dentists have difficulty with that issue as well. Uh, and, and uh, Jason, the province that you're in in Alberta, it's only recently that they've separated. They've used to be one in the same body. Uh, so, you know, I, uh, There are overlaps. There's some shared perspectives with our respective mandates between the Ontario Dental Association and the Royal College of Dental Surgeons of Ontario, but they're very different in, in many ways. Some of the similarities are, you know, they both are advocates for professional leadership, quality of care, building trust in our profession. We both do that. We both do that. Where the main differences are is the college's mandate is to protect the public. And the Ontario Dental Association's mandate is to advocate for their members. So that's one of the main differences and main perspectives. Uh, another big difference is the college is not voluntary. You have to be a member of the college. You have to be a registrant. So that's what you get your license to practice dentistry. Whereas the Ontario Dental Association is voluntary. Now we represent about not over 90% of our members, which is a very good voluntary rate, but nonetheless it is voluntary. But I think the general, to generalize the college, they establish the rules and enforce the rules. Whereas the association, we, we are consulted on many different levels, but our main role is to help Our dentists help our members and all the dentists of Ontario as well comply with the rules, help them meet the expectations that the college sets out. So you you know there are some overlapping of mandates, but there's a very distinct difference. The ODA doesn't make the rules; we help meet those expectations. Does that does that make sense?
2: Yeah, that's fantastic. In our industry, we would say you know we have FISRA, the financial services um authority of ontario which basically does our licensing and then we have associations like whatever cgib advocates and everything they can belong to voluntarily our um, participation numbers are probably closer to five or ten percent not 90 so you guys are way way ahead um and on the insurer side insurers are regulated by fisra but they have clia clhia Um, that is their association and advocacy group. And, and again, in our industry, like yours, advisors kind of think that CLIA is a regulator and they're they're not, they're just, for lack of a better term, a a union for the insurers to speak their voice and things like that. So I know, I think that's great. Um, Jason, you want to take the next one? Jason would take the next one if he wasn't muted. If he wasn't (laughs) muted, there we go. Um, sorry. So the, uh, I actually have a follow-up with
0: this one a little bit here, David. You were good enough to mention Alberta. Um, can you give, I don't know if you, if you know off the top of your head, but is this common in most jurisdictions now where you've got that break between like an ODA and R.D. or sorry, RCDSO, like the college equivalent, or is it still like, is Alberta and are Alberta and Ontario unique in this regard?
1: No, it's and it's it's moving towards that. Uh, if you were to ask me that question about five years ago, I could I could list you that um, you know the relationship in Alberta was the Alberta Dental Association College. Uh, Saskatchewan is one unit. Manitoba is one unit. New Brunswick, like, like there's various that have all been one association, but that view is changing uh Ontario changed thanks to Bill Davis back in the 70s I'm embarrassed that I actually know that cuz that yeah. will tell everybody how old I am um but you know it uh that in Ontario it's been that way for a long time um, but the other provinces are going that way. And, and that's, uh, you know, th- that's a big driver of change across the province. Um, but I think it, it's inevitable. Uh, there's some provinces that have given the associations time in which to do it. Uh, there's other provinces such as BC about three years ago just put the hammer down and said, no, you guys are separate and, and you have to go your separate ways. So it has been different. But the trend is trending towards a separate body for, to protect the public and to advocate for the association. And it's not like a union. It's not like a union. Uh, sometimes we get compared to that and there are some similarities, but you know, we don't have a, a common negotiating agreement. We, we, it, it is really an advocate and services for our members.
0: Then uh, I, and I'm not aware of this at all, but uh, I assume this some David Dave would know about, but David, the uh, question here about uh, the college's fees increasing. So I assume you're paying fees to both the college and the ODA, and I'm sure everybody's very sensitive to these fees when they change. So um, I don't need comments here, David. Yeah. yeah, you know,
1: the the college is an easy target, uh, you know, <laughs> and I think it is across the country with that, Um uh our, the fees to the college increased by about 485 dollars uh this pa- this current year you know i'm not a member of the college executive council i'm not a member of the the college's council so but i, I as a practicing dentist i do have faith in their governance that they do know what they're doing and why they're doing it. If, you know, to give you the, the typical answer that there is, you know, they've, they've had to do this, there's increasing funding for the professional liability because we get our liability insurance through our college. Uh, they are going through some governance changes that's being brought down from the province onto them for as far as governance is concerned and regulatory requirements that are increasing. Um, they are subject to inflation just as well as I, as as I, as an individual yeah. practicing dentist, are. So, yeah, it's easy to complain about as they say because they're always an easy target. But uh, I, I do have faith that they, I, I do have faith that they have a, a proper oversight process in order
0: to justify their increases. So, it, it's um, money well spent. Those are my thoughts
2: about. Yeah,
0: <laughs> it's. I, I did not know that they were. Is this similar to the physician model, the, the providing of um, your your liability insurance? Is it? Yeah, like in Ontario a... they do. Yeah, we can get extra
1: outside of the college, but they they do uh, they do provide it. The basics. But, they, and, and, so and that's the way just a of ensuring that everybody has it. It's a condition upon yeah. registration. Okay.
0: Yeah, I only recently became aware of this for physicians. That it's a, essentially it's a pooled, like you don't go shop for you know, insurance or whatever as a position. Yeah. So, yeah.
2: And we're the same as advisors. We tend to buy it through our associations, but you can buy it on the street as well. It's just the power of the group tends to be pretty good for the most part.
1: Yeah. And I, and I think it relates to your risks of what you're doing too. Uh, yeah. You know, different, different practitioners, uh, you know, in the medical world, uh, obstetricians are, have a much higher insurance rate than the GP in the dental world, oral and maxillofacial surgeons have a much higher insurance rate than the, the you know,
0: so it, it relates to risks. All right. Sorry. That's such a long digression there. Um, cool. so yeah. now, um, We've seen so much change in the dental space. Can you talk about some of the drivers of that change? And maybe we can focus on Ontario a little bit here, David, since that's where your expertise lies.
1: Yeah, you know, the typical changes, I always like to think that the typical changes and drivers of change in in in, in my profession of dentistry, uh, you know, they can be... Um, you know demand driven by the patient they can be industry driven by technology advances uh those changes should be well researched uh well evidenced and you know by not just the source of evidence but the type of evidence and the weight of evidence are they effective are they safer uh do they do are they more efficient uh, those are all things that we usually like to think are the typical drivers of change and those still exist. They still exist. And uh, um, but what's changed? What's changed in change over the last uh, few years? And I'm going to go back. Even I'm going to say about five to six years ago, where this started. There, there is some legislative compliance that's responsible for change. In other words, meeting our professional responsibilities, and that has so very much been driven by. Uh, COVID over the last three years, where the, the protocols, where we haven't been able to rely on the evidence, we haven't been able to rely on the time uh, to properly evaluate and weigh the evidence. We've had to make those changes really quickly, all in the interests of public safety. Uh, and with a little bit of uncertainty, we've had to make those changes utilizing what I call the precautionary principle. In other words, okay, we We've got to be overkill in the safe department. We've really got to be overkill in the safe department. And, uh, you know, that's how it's been in Ontario. And believe it or not, I'd like to explain a little bit of the the relationship that Ontario has with the other provinces. Because that sort of situation is existing across the provinces, across yeah. the country. And it's also existing internationally internationally. Um, uh, you know, the Ontario Dental Association is a member of the Canadian Dental Association. So each of the different provinces and territories with the exception of Quebec, although the relationship between Quebec and the Canadian Dental Association is very good, um, but each province and and territory is a member, it's a corporate member of the Canadian Dental Association. So the provinces in that relationship, we share a lot of services, we share a lot of the advocacy efforts, we share a lot of the information research. So Ontario is not necessarily, uh, speaking from Ontario, we're not like an island or a microcosm if we are an island, we're the biggest friggin' island in the country. Yeah. So, so there's 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 a lot of influence there, both good and bad. Um, so that sort of scenario, you know, you asked the question uh, Jason, as it relates to the other provinces, those other provinces, there will be subtle changes in the legislation compliance because healthcare is a provincial responsibility. But as general, we're all facing the same issues. And I, I would say that over the past five years, that legislation compliance infection prevention and control has been a major driver there and that have was been a some big others, one. though as
2: I was gonna say yeah. that was a big one in Ontario yeah as far as affecting Ontario. costs and a big change for dentists that I don't think a lot of people really picked up on unless they were kind of hanging with dentists who were at the time pulling their hair out yeah exactly and uh, but he, I'm going to toot my profession's
1: horn here you know at the beginning of the pandemic Everybody was thinking about how much risk dentists are. I mean, we're an aerosol generating pre- profession. We're we we got to take our mask. Like the patient has to take their mask off. We're working in the mouth. We're spraying everything all over the place. That didn't pan out. Like dental offices were not a source of infection. Well, so- and you guys,
2: you guys have a track history that is very very good. And I remember years ago. Um, we had a family member dealing with HIV AIDS who passed away like in many years ago. And they, I said, you know, what's this concern? And they go like, we've been dealing with this forever, whether it's hepatitis C, whether it's HIV, now this, like you've had lots of training in this and work in this environment on a daily basis almost. Yeah. So the pandemic was, you know, a little bit more, but you're already there. You were operating safely, effectively, and, and so on.
1: Yeah, our starting point was a really great place to start from. Uh, you know, have we had to make some changes? Absolutely, absolutely. But uh, but I, I do think our starting point was a really great place, great place to start from. I, I can't just stress infection control and legislation, though. You know, there are other changes that are coming into place, and you know, they're almost a separate discussion on their own, but I can mention them a bit here. You know, the the business model changes, corporate dentistry, uh, that is a driver of change as well. Um, But oh my, and I could talk about that forever. Uh, You know, there's a big, some of the changes that I think are are worth talking about are, um, you know, teledentistry. Um, Their telemedicine has really played a major role in the pandemic. And, you know, it, it not just in... It, it's improving access to care of medicine and improving utilization of our medical services. That's very limited in the dental
2: world. But, yeah.
1: Very limited in the dental world. There I was mean, a it, lot of I,
2: jokes going on about the attachments to your iPhone to do your own dentistry. I mean, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. like, uh, you know, uh, for for screening and, and certainly it's been very helpful in our northern communities for triage and things like that. But the, the favorable movement forward and progress that you see in the medical world for telemedicine you don't expect the same degree in teledemistry I I need my hands in your mouth so yeah I need my hands in your mouth
2: yeah, but it must come in handy if you know somebody after having a treatment says okay I've got this pain and everything and you can maybe, maybe take a quick look and go yeah you know you might want to come back in we'll get you some antibiotics or yeah you know exactly. give, give it a day take a Tylenol, and yeah and yeah I, I honestly Actually, I'm not
0: saying it's not helpful. It's just yeah. not to the same degree. Sure. I, I did this. I actually had this because I have uh, orthodontia in right now. And I had a question about them. And instead of having to go into the office, I said my uh, orthodontist FaceTimed me and uh, yeah. took a look. And he's like, yeah, no worries. It's all good. You can just yeah. wait till your next regular appointment. So, yeah, that was pretty neat, actually. Very cool. Um, Yeah. Now, you mentioned sort of international pressures here i find this interesting david this is one that uh, and by the way there's going to be a bunch of financial planners listening who are going to harass me about not asking you about corporate changes but we'll deal with that well, separately yeah
1: okay so, no i like i have no uh, troubles
0: talking about it. i don't know how long we have we got oh, 24 hours for this podcast is that what it okay. usually?
2: give or take yeah
0: <laughs> well how about we defer that question maybe i'll hit you up <laughs> separately for that but okay. uh but i am curious about the international pressures here because and I think Dave can attest to this in the group benefits world where there's sort of like we can often look at what's happening in the United States or in Australia or the UK as a little bit of a precursor to to change that we might see in Canada in, in our space and is that kind of how it works with dentistry too David is that is that your sense here the international level is is a very interesting level uh to
1: look at Uh, And and you have to look at the drivers of change in the international level, not just on the regulatory side of things. You know, uh, England and Australia have gone to a super regulator right now in Ontario. We have 26 regulated health professions and each of those regulated health professions has a, a member of their own profession, if not as registrar, but as the president or a representative on their regulatory body. It's not quite the same as self-regulation. I, I think that's a dinosaur and it's gone the way, but it's certainly self-representation in, leg- in, in regulation. But you've got other countries that have gone, no, we're just going to have a super regulator for all the health professions. And, uh, and, and you, one can see the efficiency in that. Uh, there's pros and cons to that. Um, but nonetheless, whether what are the pros and cons? um it's it's happening so that's a driver the corporate model is a driver uh, of 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 international that we see particularly coming from the states uh, the the percentage of dental practices that are corporate owned so that's a driver of change that we can look at the international model the direct to consumer perspective uh of services like smile direct orthodontic services direct to consumer these are things that are not very, they're not quite so prevalent in Canada yet, but we saw them coming from outside. And it even goes to relate to, hopefully someone will ask me a question later on about the National Dental Care Program. Um, oh, yes. You know, when we look at what happens, <laughs> no chuckles, no chuckles. Uh, yeah. But when we look at what happens in other countries, uh, you can't just say, you know, Swedish model works, British model works. We got to take that, you know. Every country is different, just like every province is different. You you need to pick and choose. You need to see what doesn't work and what works. Would I want a system like the national health system in this in Great Britain? No way. You know Germany has a different system. Wait a minute.
2: Wait a minute. Are you suggesting that people in Great Britain don't have the best teeth in the world?
1: I'm not going to suggest that. I'm just going to say. I'm sorry. I couldn't couldn't resist. Their access to that care is is very compromised. So. So, you know, we need to pick and choose, but it's coming like that model, that model of a publicly delivered dental care system is coming. Uh, We know it's coming. Uh, We can make I, I think I'm very optimistic about that. We can make it work if we just target it. Cause we can't throw out what's been worked in this country. I, I better not, I better let yeah. some other questions go on, but <laughs> like, you know, but you need to pick and choose what other countries are doing. And there's some really good
2: examples, uh, that we have to pick and choose from. Fantastic. Should we, should we move on to one of on those day, other yeah. topics? I mean, we've got so many ways we can go. Yeah. Um, I'm going to skip through some of the pandemic stuff and maybe come to the costs and then maybe we'll come back to corporate dentistry if that's okay. 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 Um, and maybe you can tell a little bit about the ODA fee guide, um, the Ontario Dental Association fee guide, um, how it works, how other provinces are similar. And I mean, the timing couldn't be better because as of January 1, we have the new 2023 uh, fee guide out. Yeah. And and it's a little bit higher than it has been in the past. It's the highest um, that I've ever seen it. Yeah. And in 25 years, I think we used to average about 2 or 2.5% two a, a year increases. Mm. So kind of inflationary-ish. And, uh, and then we all of a sudden hit the prevention, infection, prevention, uh, legislation, regulation, mm-hmm. and that gave us a big bump, and then we mellowed out, and then all of a sudden, you know, we're back up through the pandemic, and then, or post-pandemic, I guess. Yep. And now we're we're up this year to 8.5%, I think it
1: Post-8.5,
2: yep. Yeah. Yep. And that um, is…
1: That's the largest that I've ever seen. Uh, Having said that, um, even though I'm an associate right now, I'm very closely involved with the individual who bought our practice. So, you know, I can see the costs. Uh, It's impossible to talk about that without talking about the pandemic because yeah. you know it, it is directly related and, and all i can uh i'd like to say that the pandemic has has uh cr- not created but it is put in place certain expectations that will become the new normal yeah. will become the new normal um it has exacerbated certain conditions that were already there so when i and, and you heard you heard me talk earlier about the um precautionary principle about b- being safer than you need to be that's not going to change that's what that's what patients expect and, and nor and, should it exactly <laughs> yeah. you know they've i uh, you know i've done over the past few couple of years so many television and, and media interviews and you know the patients know what to expect now Now they know when they look and they see an air filtration unit in the corner of the operatory, they, they know, when they see that I'm wearing a gown. I wear a bonnet now. Uh, You know, I never used to, I used to wear a shirt and tie to, you know, when I first started practicing. Um, So they see this and they expect those changes. They things that have been exacerbated for the costs that have increased. Uh, The dental industry is no different from any other industry with regards to the manpower situation. And we have seen a real shortage and a demand for auxiliaries and helping us uh provide the services that we provide and there's and there's been a very much an increase in the in the wages and and the salaries involved in that and by far our largest expense is salaries you know about 25 to 35 percent of our it used to be about 25 now it's closer to 35 sometimes 40 percent of our expenses are wages and they're gone up and, and, and so those are a big driver. We're also subjected to the inflation and supply demands and, and as such. And, you know, I have seen bills coming from supply companies where they have a fuel surcharge added. I never saw that before, but that's added to the bill. So those I'm not making excuses, but because those are reasons. And I, I do like to say that, you know we i do have a tremendous amount of confidence in the process of how Ontario and other provinces develop their fee guide. It's not just a bunch of dentists sitting around thinking, what do we charge? Believe it or not, it's an extremely objective process that adheres to a formula with multiple different inputs. And you know that formula is right at the beginning of our fee guide and the insurance industry has access to purchase a copy of that. So I don't wanna go into that in detail, but it's a very strict process. And being part of that committee at one time, I do know we never got a chance. The dentists don't get a chance to feed to see the fee guide until it's produced they they understand the parameters that go into its production and they help influence those through surveys and their costs of their practice uh, that is done every year they influence that but they don't see the result until it's actually produced so the little bit of an eye opener at eight and a half percent i got to admit there's a few dentists that open their eyes but Is it justified? In my opinion, absolutely. There are some different factors. All provinces, it's gone up um, to different degrees because there are some unique situations in different provinces. Some of the demographics are are somewhat unique. You think of a practice in PEI or Saskatchewan. That's a lot different than Ontario or British Columbia. Um, The geographics are different and the regulatory body issues are different. So there are some good reasons for some differences in the fee guide but as a general I think the process that the provinces use to develop their fee guide is very credible it's very accountable and I I do believe it's well respected
2: can I ask and maybe this is too inside and you can't answer okay. but do the provinces in advance of sharing the fee guide do they talk amongst each other and go we're at 8.5 Quebec where are you 9.8 Alberta where are you six okay we're no. all facing no it's it's all totally independent yeah. so if you get everybody kind of around the same numbers you're getting um showing that the process works across the country different groups are doing different things yeah. with all sorts of different factors but at the end we're all seeing you know this year much higher increases
1: yeah you're absolutely right and and david you're absolutely right that does in my opinion it shows the process works and the other thing that shows the process worked is <laughs> You know, when I started practicing over thirty year ago, thirty years ago, the the formula was very simple, and you know, um, and it was very arbitrary how it was decided how the increase would be, and hence the utilization of the fee guide was less. I I, I myself speaking as an individual dentist, I used to say, ah, I'm charging more than the fee guide for that. I'm charging more than the fee guide for that. I'm not going to charge the fee guide for that. I used to like I, I really did used to um be very no i it is and it is just a guide remember it is just a guide but now uh over the past 10 to 12 years i've found myself i still do it to a certain extent depending on the individual situation because that's what i should do but i find it much more reflective of what the actual costs are in average in average now we all know how many of us are that average person. So yeah. we do, you know, it, that's why it is just a guide. But, uh, you know, full disclosure, I may say something out of turn here, uh, but I don't care. Um, yeah. You know, dentistry is costly, but it, there, I do think there is value for that. When I think of, and I've had this discussion with medical folks, you know, when you pay that fee to have a root canal done, And it's over a thousand dollars out of that fee everything comes the doc has to pay the rent the hydro the supplies the staff you know everything it's not like medicine where a surgeon only gets such and such well yeah but that's what the surgeon gets the cost of delivering that medical service like the cost of going to the emergency room is over 500 bucks so like so Dentistry is, a, is. I won't use the word expensive. There's value. It's costly. But I always like to say it's, it's a highly specialized healthcare service tailored to an individual by highly trained professionals using nothing but the highest quality materials in the safest of environments, zero wait time, and by the provider of your choice. And you haven't even which touched one of those, on- Which one of those do you want me to give up? to make yeah, it
2: change. none of them none of them and you haven't even talked about the cost of education to get in the yeah. cost to establish or buy a practice yeah. like i mean those are huge multi-million dollar costs now it's not yeah. like you you walk out tomorrow hang up a shingle and you'll be fine no you got a you got a million dollars worth of equipment your first day you know
1: yeah it's, so it's- i i don't wish to, and i know sometimes i don't wish to sound indignant um but I, there is a tremendous responsibility to live up to that expectation. And that's where I'll throw it back on myself. Like I can justify the fees I charge, but there's a tremendous amount of responsibility that I I I would I truly believe the vast majority of our profession embraces. There's a tremendous responsibility to live up to those expectations. Uh hope I mean this is an insurance. Webinar, so hopefully you'll ask me a couple of questions about fraud later on,
2: and I, and well, I won't, you d- I won't... you just walked right into it right here, right now, <laughs> well, okay. and, and, and I'm just going, yeah. There's, <laughs> I would say, majority of people in any industry are good, rule following, um, meet or exceed the standards of the industry, but there's always bad apples, and yeah. um, and and to be fair, it's not all fraud. There's a bit of misuse and abuse and, and things like that along the way that maybe are in the fringes of. You know, is it necessary? Is it unnecessary? That's that's a whole other professional discussion, but um, but we do see a fair amount of fraud, and and I was hoping to do a survey of my neighborhood of dentists, asking, for example, who would forgive the fee guide. I did this last about 15 years ago, and it was around 40 percent said they would. Um, sorry, forgive the co-insurance. I said the wrong thing. Um, and about 40 percent over the phone to somebody just calling saying, I'd like to be a new patient. Will you forgive the co-insurance? About 40% said yes. And that blew my mind. Now, to be fair, it might've been the receptionist or it might've been somebody not, it's obviously not the dentist in most cases, but I mean, that's, that's a big problem. And that is, that is fraud. I uh, take, take it where you want to take it. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, it, first of all, um, You know, I don't have, it's going to be very difficult to find out just how, to what degree that occurs, but it's fraud, you know, uh, you know, um, people sort of think, well, why are we doing this? Fraud is a victimless crime. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's fraud, and and I and I'm I'm I'll fully admit to that. Uh, like you know, like this is this is an issue. Uh, to me, the two biggest issues um, that are are that are, our profession has to deal with are are the the acceptance or going after the copay, and and also treating the insurance plan, not the patient. You need to treat the plan, it's pa- treat the patient, not the plan. But both of our industries are guilty of that. Both of our 100%.
0: industries are. Hundred
1: guilt get yep. for that um but the the copay is a real it is it it is a problem it is it's not a gray area and and no, the Ontario Dental Association. Again, we're not the one that enforces the rules, but we we have a patient fact sheet that we give to our our members to give to the patients because this is very much a demand from the patients as well, and the patients will they'll vote with their feet. If you don't do it, they'll go elsewhere. So there's there's aspect there's that
2: fear of losing patients. Um, I, I know. The, uh, I was just going to say a few years ago we had. Um, Dr. uh, Roland Matsui, who's both a dentist and a lawyer. And unfortunately, he passed away about seven or eight years ago. Um, But he spoke, and both his kids are dentists, Mm -hmm. and they were going up into Yukon and indigenous communities to work. And he said, you know, when they come back and, you know, work in the cities or wherever they choose to end up, he said their biggest problem is people bending and breaking the rules. And it just makes it that much harder, as you said, people walk with their feet when You know, you don't do what they want. They go down the street if they find somebody else willing to bend the rules or in this case, commit fraud. And he said, like, it's, that's a big problem. And it's, I mean, the college talks about it. There's courses on fraud now. um, And, you know, the associations are on it. There's all this stuff out there, but it seems to persist.
1: Yeah, Because it's a difficult problem to police. It is. Yeah. It, and the, one of the main reasons why it's a difficult problem to police is because the college primarily, not solely, but primarily reacts and responds to patient complaints. What patient is going to complain that their dentist didn't charge them the copay? You're on mute, Dave. Mm-hmm. Sorry, just but like I'm our gonna-
2: industry, my <laughs> turn.
1: Yeah. 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 So, gonna- so, and I yeah. don't mean to sound flippant there, but it's a reality.
0: So I'm going to just jump in for a second here with some background for folks who may not be familiar with what this really is. Cause I think you're, you're both very inside baseball on this. Yeah. So yeah, the concern here is let's say just for the sake of argument, I'm going to my dentist and the normal cost of something would be $500 and I've got a 20% copay. That's fair. So the dentist says, and I, and I go to the dentist and I say, "Well, how about this? You know, you waive the the copay portion and you just charge me four hundred dollars. But the whole four hundred dollars goes to my insurer, which Dave really means my employer, right?" Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um <clears throat> So that's your that's sort of the where what should happen if the dentist only charges four hundred dollars, then you know it should be three twenty goes to the exactly. plan and eighty comes to me. That that's yeah. fair
1: no and and that's a that's a that's a that that's that's not just a good way of explaining it that's that is the way to explain it uh, yeah. and 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 it's a and it's a factor uh you know the, there's lots of different solutions to that to enforce it but it's difficult to enforce it's difficult to police um the you know and one of the one of the things as well i always like to say and i'm not defending the those that are guilty of it that you know just because the patient didn't pay for it doesn't mean they weren't asked to it's a Pain in the neck to to be a collection agent like a service. It's a it's a real yeah. pain in the neck. But some of the other solutions for it, yeah, you know, just say no. I uh, you know well yeah, yeah you can do that. Um, uh, don't take assignment uh, of benefits. Assignment of benefits is a contributor to that. But these are all things that. We've we've come into a, a marketplace right now where again the patient expectation is to be able to no you will take assignment no you will for, forgive the copay. Um, I, I don't. It's easy for me to stand on a high horse, living in a small town where the other practices in town don't take it uh, like don't take assignment. It's it's easier for me to talk from my high horse. But if I was working in a major center, you know, I understand it, but it's still wrong.
2: Yeah. And I'm going to help lift you up onto the high horse. I've got friends in dentistry, um, in different communities and one I'm thinking of right now, and they've just actually sold their practice is in um, a lower income area and they don't have patients unless they do assignment of benefits and they do a bit of forgiving the co-insurance or not being aggressive accounts, receivable chasers Mm -hmm. because of the financial considerations and demands from the patients. And I, I took them to task at it once, um, because they said, why don't you switch over to us as your dentist? Cause mine was retiring. And I'm like, I don't want to be involved. Like, I'm like, I'm, I'm not about to report them because it's so flagrant, but, um, but at the same time, I'm like, I can't be the person, especially in my role in the industry, as being the one who's committing dental fraud, like, and I wouldn't let you do it and potentially risk your license, but they feel that because of that pressure from the patient, they don't have a choice. That's the only way they're going to get to be able to treat people. And yeah, it,
1: and it's, it's a very interesting thing because you made a comment there, uh, whether it be not collecting the copay or whether it be backdating an insurance claim or, or, or whatever, like, you're asking me to commit fraud i could lose my registry i could lose my license
2: yeah
1: um so you know is it kindness or ignorance it's not ignorance it's not ignorance no. i truly believe it's not ignorance is it kindness well i like to think of myself as being a pretty kind person and i will i will give dentistry away to people that need it and can't afford it but i'm not prepared to put my my livelihood at risk. I'm just not prepared to do that.
2: Yeah, uh, and we all get faced with I, 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 that in again, every. I yeah.
1: can sound high horse and indignant, but it, no. it's fraud. It's professional misconduct.
2: Yeah, I'm 100 with you. And I mean, we face the same thing. I mean, we have employers that come to us and say we want to make this fake group for the sole purposes of getting claims paid and and things. And you go, what you're asking me to do is risk my license. man nah, yeah. it's not really fraud. I mean, it's the insurance company that's paying no uh the insurance company only pays for the benefits for their employees beyond yeah. that role as an employer they're not paying anything the employer is or you know whoever the association yeah uh, cool
0: Can i just ask a follow-on fraud question here i think we want to get to the national dental benefit thing dave here right but uh <laughs> um so the the co-pay issue i think that's i don't know that's kind of that thing that uh, we know is fraud you made a good case for this, David, right? Um, but I think there's other examples that would be more, I don't know, more obvious, more flagrant. Am I fair there? Do you think? Yeah. Yeah. And I I
1: don't know how prevalent there are some of the other things. And I mentioned earlier, like treat the, treat the patient, not the insurance plan. And, and this is where, um, I'd like to say I'm an expert at fraud, but I want to make it perfectly clear. I'm not an expert at fraud. Yeah. Uh, But, but, you know, um, okay... What I had one dentist talk to me one time, well, you know, the, it doesn't cover sealants for patients over 12. So I just code it as a single surface resin restoration. And, and this is where I say you're treating the plan, not the patient. You're looking for what codes are uh, available for the patient uh, through their insurance coverage and using those codes. That's misusing the guide entirely. You know, a lot of work, the Canadian Dental Association is the steward of the codes. You know, the Ontario Dental Association Does a lot of work at producing a very credible, highly respectable fee guide and you have to use it properly. So it's not a tool of which to use as convenience in that way. So those are examples of fraud. Uh, and they're very specific examples uh that the the having said that dentists would say that the insurance companies use they treat the plan not the patient because you know this individual patient needs needs a fluoride every two months needs oral hygiene instruction but their their plan won't cover it and it's simple so that goes this is where we can both do better on you know treating the patient not the plan this is where we can both do better but jason those th- that fraud does exist um yeah again a lot of that can come from assign removing assigned benefits you know there's something about giving that patient the bill and have them looking at it and oh three fillings were done today yeah and i remember him doing those three fillings oh she did this today and i remember doctor i remember when she did this for me today as opposed to you know, oh, I I had a filling done at the, at the office today, but the dentist coded that I had three fillings done. You know, yeah. that's, I, I like to think that that's not prevalent, but it, I, we have to acknowledge that it, it does
2: exist. Yeah, we used to have, a, and I'm not sure if they still do, one or two hospitals in Toronto that would give you a bill when you left showing kind of an estimate of all the costs and then, you know, say paid by OHIP, your balance zero, you know, and, and things. And the whole idea was to help people understand the true cost, not, you know, you can just go to the ER for a sniffle, but no, yeah. there's a cost to, to all this stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I had a question. I've just lost it. That's okay. We
0: can come back to it. <laughs> think about your fraud question, but I, I think we have to get in now to national dental beverage to the, this is the ripped from today's headlines as it were. And yeah, yeah Dave, I'm sure the question will come to you. Um, so I, uh, Go, David. What's going on with national dental benefits? Well,
1: yeah, you, you know, right now we have three different. We already have in place three different federal programs for d- that cover dental. There's the non-insured health benefits, uh, which is primarily for indigenous populations. Um, uh, there is the interim federal health benefits for refugees, and there's veterans' affairs. So, those three programs are federally administered and run. But most of the health care that we've always associated, most of the dental programs, we've always thought of them as a provincial responsibility. So right now, uh, we have in right now, we have in place the promise of a federal Canada dental care plan. But in the meantime, we have a Canadian dental benefit. It's, uh, and that's a federally administered, I'm not even going to call it a program, I'm going to call it a stopgap measure. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's uh, uh, I, I, I will have a lot of good things to say about it. It's an interim step. Uh, But there's a lot of questions that can relate to that program right now. The basics are uh, it's up to six hundred and fifty dollars. So it is actually indexed depending on uh, the 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 average, the income, the overall income of your family. So if you are less than seventy thousand dollars, if your family makes less than seventy thousand dollars a year, you get six hundred and fifty dollars per child for about two years this is going to be in place for about two years and child under 12 as long as you do not have any other private medical or dental insurance if you have that you don't qualify if it's between 70 and 80 you get uh 300 390 dollars if it's if it's uh, uh between 80 and 90 you get 260 dollars per child so it is indexed um It's administered by CRA. So you you have to get this. The good thing about this program. I'm going to start off with the good thing. (laughs) It is money directly to dental care, directly to dental care. Uh, Is it does it target a population that needs it? Yes, it does. And when I say directly to dental care, it doesn't have to be used for a dental appointment. You can use it to go get a filling. You can use it to buy toothbrushes and toothpaste. So it's, it's, it's this. So overall, am I glad it's as a, as a practicing dentist? Am I glad it's there? Yes, I am. As a member of the Ontario Dental Association, am I glad it's federally administered? Yes, I am. And, and Jason, I think uh, this is an important question because different provinces feel differently about this. Ontario, our provincial programs, and there's five of them, I think, and then there's different municipal programs, but our provincial programs are woefully underfunded and underutilized with poor access to them. So are they good enough? No, they're not good enough. They need to be much better, whereas the federal programs tend to be better funded, better administered, Better services, so that's why we're glad this is a federal program. Okay, get some. Let me ask, let me
2: ask one question. Do you think the amount is a reasonable amount? And I, the reason I ask was, I think the average spend for a Canadian on dental care is like four hundred and fifty dollars or something like that. Those are old numbers that we kind of. No, no,
1: no, it's you know, you if, if you look at it, do, do I think the average? Do I think the amount is a reasonable amount for the average person? And yeah. the answer to that is yes and I'll tell you why in a second. Okay. There's I have patients that are going to need a lot more than that. Of course. I have patients I have patients that won't need that much. So this is the proverbial average. So we'll take $650. Because you're right, the national average, I think it's probably about 480 right now. Last year, I think there was about 16. And you just do the math. We'll do the math quickly. Uh, I won't, and I promise I won't do it in my head. I actually did it here, because Uh you you know, you if you do the math and you've got the dental industry, there was about 16 billion dollars spent in Canada last year. 33 million people. That works out to be about 480 dollars per person. That's if everybody went. But not everybody goes. So when you look at the number, okay, say in Canada, about 74% go to the dentist every year. So when you look at 16 billion dollars spread out 74% of the population, believe it or not, that number is $667.
2: Oh wow. That's fantastic. I'm glad if, you did that math. Yeah. I don't
1: I, I don't know if that's how they did it. I don't know if that's how they did it.
2: Yeah. But well, that's, that's the number. That makes total sense. And I was one of those people that so, never went to so, dentists for 12 years. So I get it. Yeah. yeah.
1: So so you know, to to answer your question directly, um it's it's uh, is that a good number? Yeah, the number, yeah, I can see where it's a reasonable number. But as a dentist, as a as a provider, again, we never work. I can count on one hand the number of people that I've ever treated that are the average persons. So there's that frustration level that will come in. But it is a stopgap measure. Uh, I, I, I will also go out on a limb here and say it is a it was a political survival measure um, that they did that. But having said that, I will compliment them. Okay, if they're going to take the time to get a good program in place, then take the time to get a good program in place. And I think they're looking at about two years. So this still has the potential to be something really good because... There, you know, Dave and Jason, there's, there's about 30% of our population that really need this care and yeah. and they don't have good access to it and and they don't have good utilization of the programs that are in place and i know that that's very different from province to province so on that point i'm speaking very much in uh, in ontario but you know just as a as a case, case in point there's some new brunswick just negotiated uh, a new terms of service with their for their publicly administered dental programs for children and and their reimbursement level is 90% of their current fee guide um that's not bad. So they have no complaints. Yeah. Ontario.
2: 40,
1: 50%. No, we're at
2: 36%. Oh, it's worse.
1: 36%.
2: Which so, makes it hard for a self-employed entrepreneurial dentist to get somebody into the office knowing they're going to be paid just more than a third for, than the next patient. So and,
1: what it yeah. what it does is it limits your access. It Because lim- I'm a big believer in the best thing to hold dentists accountable is that if my patients aren't happy with me, they can go elsewhere. I'm a big believer in that. I think that's healthy. So take my wife and I, for instance, who saved for the last 10, 15 years of our practice, we 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 could afford to do just what we were doing because we had paid off most of our practice where, okay, this is just, I'm, I can afford to do that. But the young individual who she or he who just purchased a practice and is massive debt uh, It's better for them to have an empty chair than see that. So that's, uh, and Jason, I'm very much speaking Ontario specific. The average, the average spend on public dentistry in Ontario is $4 and 99 cents. I think this is a figure of about two years ago, whereas the national average is about $21 and that's per capita. And again, that's not very much, but you're factoring that number out towards everybody as this everybody came in. Yeah. Nonetheless, it's just Ontario is woefully
0: low, woefully low. So I have some questions about communications around this program. You know, we're seeing the the fallout now from CERB and Q's, where there was a lot of self-reported, like I don't have income, or I do have income, or I had this kind of income, and you know, people qualified for. Serb, and now we've got, I can't remember what the dollar amount is, but billions and billions of dollars of both benefits being, people always say clawed back, but reclaimed, whatever. Um, And now we're going down the same path again of self-reporting. I don't have benefits, therefore I'm putting in an application for this 650 or less dollars. Do you think, like, do dentists have any sort of I don't want to say obligation, because that's not the word I want to use here. But is there, like, as the dentist, David, are you talking to your, your patients and saying, you know, you could be applying for this, or you could not be applying for this?
1: Uh, yes, uh, um, the, you know the the overall benefit because you're right the program's just in place right now. there's going to be abuse, there's going to be mismanagement of funds and and we there's always a certain element of that that's factored in. I think the, the key here that they can use this um, is if they still continue, if the targeting is appropriate, in other words, it's targeted to the appropriate eligible families you know that then you're still you're you're dealing with a good starting point you're dealing with a good starting point you know they have the ability when you look at the cra website they do have the ability to ask for receipts as to to what degree are they going to do that i certainly speaking as a general practitioner dentist there's no way i want to be a policeman in that there's no way uh like to me this should be the the dentist's involvement in this what i like about this our 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 role is to provide treatment you know that's our role the dentist the patient has to pay for it the patient has to pay us for it so to me and that's where that's one of the benefits is that this money is supposed to be funded directly at the care the dentist does not have an administrative burden in in this role so where can they hold the where can they hold the system accountable they can only do it through specific audits every once in a while, but they're starting they can go from a very good starting point by maintaining and be very stringent on their eligibility criteria. And okay, we're only giving this money to a family that is in this income level to start with. Yeah, <laughs> Whereas CERB, the other benefits, it was everybody was eligible
2: for it. And it's administratively difficult. So if your family qualifies based on income and partway through the year, you get a benefit plan, mm-hmm. wh- where does that fit? And oh, all of a sudden, after three months, you're like, go, you don't have a benefit plan. Are you eligible? Are you yeah. not eligible? You know, like there's so many yeah. real life things you, that mess yeah, it all you, up.
1: You can apply for eligibility, and the other thing is you have to reapply for it. So the program now it 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 started December first, but it was retroactive till October first, two thousand twenty-two, and the first year goes till June thirtieth of two thousand twenty-three. Then they have to reapply. They reapply. We're only talking about for children here. You know, at they were hoping at the end of two thousand twenty-three they would have it for up to eighteen, and then seniors. Who knows? And then they're not they're not going to have a full program in place for everybody till 2025. So, yeah, it's it's not perfect. It's not perfect. But it's a start. I will, you know, as a as a GP, particularly working in a small town and, and I live in the small town. I live in this town and we have for, for a long time. So that's why I say there's a need for it. There's a need for publicly funded dental care programs. What used to be called Mother's Allowance. Uh, uh, is there? Do I know of evidence of where it, these programs are going to be abused? Yeah, I do. But overall, I'm really grateful that they exist, and I'm really glad that this is money directed directly to dental care. They haven't formed a whole other bureaucracy to deal with this um they're not saying this we got 50 million dollars for a program which is what happened with healthy smiles when it first came out in ontario here's 50 million dollars for a program and they built a bunch of clinics and never manned them and a lot of money was spent and this is what's happening with the seniors program in ontario as well a lot of money is being spent
0: but not on directly on dental care Are you going to keep stats on this or is there any sort of requirement or, you know, because the if if the program works, you're going to have people in your chair who wouldn't have been in the chair otherwise. I think that's the that's the win. That's
1: the goal. That's the goal. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So who's going to who's going to know that that's happening or how is that going to get back to policymakers or do you have a sense for that, David?
1: yeah. Yeah, and and I don't know the exact. Am I, am I as a GP going to take stats? They're going to be very. I certainly haven't been asked to yet, um, and it's a difficult thing to make that stat. Uh, I, I don't I don't know how they're going to measure outcomes, like and and really any program deserves to have measurable outcomes uh that's how you that's how you want it accountable right now the only measurable outcome i think that they have in their in at their in their toolbox is is utilization of it um and i i believe when i looked at it last week about a hundred thousand they were they're estimating about five hundred thousand people may be eligible for it and they've got they i think they've had about a hundred thousand already taken it up so you know, Jason, that's a very good question, and I and I don't know. It's a very good question. It's a very responsible uh, expectation, but I don't know with this benefit versus program. That's a realistic expectation. Yeah, uh, and I you think would I, hope they have. They have. It, it must be a realistic expectation when they actually come out with a program with proper measurables. But again, I'm going to go back and this was political survival.
2: Yeah. And you would hope that they would take good feedback to build the program and not go down the Healthy Smiles route or, yeah. or some of the other ones that we've had in the past.
1: Yeah. And just for your other listeners, Healthy Smiles is the children's yes. program in Ontario.
2: Which is like public school screening when you're young and um, for lower income um families there's coverage um yeah basically yeah yeah exactly Jason can I, I kind can kind of hand squeeze...
0: it to you for our very last question here yeah if oh, you I, could I kinda, I, yeah
2: I've kind of got two so the first one is um I've been in the business for just over 26 years and in that in the um, employee benefit, sorry employee benefit space and we have not seen very much change in plan designs that employers offer so you know 80% Coinsurance, basic coverage to maybe a thousand or fifteen hundred dollars. Maybe you're a little bit bigger employer. You might get some major in at fifty percent. And if God forbid, you have a fantastic employer or a larger company, you might have orthodontics. Um, but that has not changed in twenty six years. What do you think, as both an employer, which you you are and have been, um, and as a dentist, what should we be doing and looking at changing? obviously keeping in mind the employer's paying the tab at the end of the day
1: I, i'm going to start off by saying help help it, it this is my opinion but i i firmly believe that there will be significant scientific evidence to back this up i just don't have it at my tips. but healthier people are cheaper people um they don't cost as much so i think you you really want to uh to have a plan that help encourages people to get healthy Um, and in the in the dental world does that mean that the annual limits or annual maximums need to increase yeah they do the dental world has changed the cost of, of services has changed but it also there's a certain element that's also changed. We've always tended to focus. Dentistry has a history of tending to focus on prevention. And I do think that plans in the future need to take into consideration, um, a lot more preventive aspects, uh, a lot more of the periodontal maintenance. And this is, this, I'm going to give the same evidence or the same rationale to employers and insurance companies that I would give to, that the Ontario Down Association has been giving to the federal government on this, is that you want to develop a program that makes it really easy for people to get access to care for the basics of care and, and like fully fund the basics and asset, a- asset or access to that. So preventive care, periodontal care. Uh, yes, restorative. Like just knock that one right out of the park. For some of the major ones, I get that completely. Like, no, they're not covered to the full 90% or 100%. They're, they're cut back. I get that. I think you have to maintain that, and that's reasonable. Um, but you do want to look at some of the changing perspectives of that, and this is some of the changing um, standards of care. Uh, this, you know, when I graduated, implants were pretty experimental. Now, if I had a single tooth with two really good teeth on either side, give me an implant. Don't give me a bridge. Give me an implant. It may be a little bit more, but it's less expensive in the long run. Yeah. You know, a a four-surface or a five-surface resin filling on a molar right now is, is $500, Dave. Yeah. Put a crown on it. Yeah. So so I think this, this will get me back to... Uh, uh, get me back to... Um, uh, treat the patient, not the plan. This is where I think insurance companies can do better, whether whether they incorporate a certain flexibility into the benefits. And I know there's been toying with that in certain things because, you know, you can say you have $1,500 a year maximum. Well, a lot of patients don't need that. But some patients need four or 5000 So yeah. is there a way to try and individualize it? Because we aren't talking, when we're talking dental insurance, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Dave and Jason, yeah. but we're not talking insurance. We're talking prepaid dental benefits.
2: Exactly. 100% right on. And that's the part that everybody fails to, to well, realize. Yeah. I
1: get it. I get yeah. it. You have to realize that's what it is. And because make no mistake, um, and, and I've had patients that are saying, well, I, should I continue with my insurance benefits or should I wait for the national dental care plan? No. Canada enjoys one of the highest standards of oral health. In the world. And I'd like to say that's all because I'm such a good dentist. <laughs> but it's only half true. No, it's, it's, <laughs> it's only partially true. Like third party insurance and the private insurance industry, as a practicing dentist, I would like to thank you. And employers, I would like to thank you <laughs> because you have facilitated that. That is one of the main reasons why we have a country that has overall good access to care, overall good utilization of care, and good services. And I wanna thank you for that. And I'm not just trying to be sentimental here because I'm talking to a bunch of insurance folks. It's true, keep it. Your employer-based insurance benefits are very valuable, they're very appreciative, and they're very attractive. It works.
2: And that's that's a great place to end other than I'm going to say um <laughs> you guys have done a great job of preventative care. I mean, my dentist calls me for my um, and puts, you know, four dates for reminders for my checkups, cleanings or whatever. My family doctor doesn't do that. I don't yeah. have you know, there's nothing preventative in the the non-dental medical profession. You guys lead the pack that way. Now some might say well, obviously, it's self-serving. There's entrep- self-employed entrepreneurs. They want you to come back in. Yeah, but there's positives to all that. So I would like to say thank you to you and the dentists that are consummate professionals helping people every day. Um, we couldn't do it without you. And us not having um, not having a good dental process and even the fee guide, whether we like it or love it or hate it some days, um, it means our business stays healthy as well. Yeah. Um so healthy smiles, sorry, not the program, but just overall, uh, benefits everybody. So yeah. super. And you know, you talk about self-serving.
1: Dave, I'd much rather during the week before Christmas, I'd much rather go in and see everybody who's coming in for their regular recares or to fix the filling here and, and wish them a happy Merry Christmas and a happy new year. I'd much rather be doing that than seeing them on an dental emergency over the holidays because they couldn't get access to care. And, and, and I have done that. I have done that. And it's a lot more fun to see people more often for the basics,
2: healthy care. Fantastic. Jason. It's a
0: great note to end on. Thanks very much, David. Really, really a pleasure to get to meet you. And I feel like this is such a great compliment to our last episode, Dave, our last episode, David, we talked to a small town pharmacist. Okay, good. uh, Yeah. Yeah. So just to, a great look at uh, both sides. So really appreciate that, David. Your uh, your depth of knowledge is fantastic. I love when people know, and, and Dave knows, I love this, when you pay attention to the regulatory side of your business as well, like when you, when you understand that history and all that goes along with that. So thanks very much, David.
1: Oh, you're very welcome. It was a real pleasure. I always, I, I liked it the first time Dave asked me to do something, ask away anytime,
2: Dave. And thank you. Uh, we appreciate it massively. Every little bit of education helps our advisors and our listeners, and helps them help employers, which help him, uh, the employees. It just, it's all good trickle down. So thank you very much. Good stuff.
0: Okay. I love these interviews. I hope Dave keeps bringing me these uh, wonderful practitioners who uh, understand their practice, but also understand regulation and can get us some insight. This was great. Um, pretty rare, honestly. I, I uh, always look for Dentists and other practitioners who do this kind of work. And it's not that common to find folks out there who uh, know their, uh, their business this well and know their regulatory side this well as well. So, thanks very much for David Stevenson for coming on. And thanks to Dave Patriarch from Canadian Group Insurance Brokers. And you'll find a link to CGIB. Strongly encourage anybody out there who's active in the group benefits community to join CGIB. It's a wonderful, wonderful learning resource. Um, I'm involved as we speak in a couple of conversations there about what exactly is permissible as far as uh, membership in health spending accounts and a curious little distinction between what the Income Tax Act says and what CRA says. So anyways, um, the uh, number for today's episode is eight. The number is eight. And finally, I hope you'll join me again in uh, two weeks time. I have uh, Chris Enns coming on. Some of you, if you uh, listened to Sandy Martin's podcast when she had a podcast, uh, you'll maybe know Chris. Um, He is a creative who does financial planning for creatives. So um, artists and the like. And uh, I really um, have always enjoyed the interactions I've had with Chris. So I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, Please do again, join me in two weeks and enjoy your continued studies. If you're listening to this episode and you're not already signed up for CE credits, this is a very easy thing to do. Just navigate over to businesscareercollege.com and you're going to sign up here for CE to subscribe. Currently the pricing is $200 a year. We may be uh, introducing monthly pricing at some point, but as of today we have a cost of $200 a year. And once you're signed up, then you can just go and listen to every episode within your subscriptions. Once you're logged in, you'll use my subscriptions here and you'll just go to the latest episode, which you'll scroll down to very near the bottom for. It doesn't matter which episode, you just scroll down and you find the one. So as of the time I'm recording this, the most recent episode is season four, episode 27. I can just start it right from here. I can do the quiz here. Once I'm done the quiz, then I can get my continuing education certificate Very straightforward Um, so I would just launch the course here and I can watch the episode from here Uh, now if you happen to be already listening to it on YouTube or whatever the case is you can just navigate right into the quiz you start your quiz and you're just gonna go through the whole thing and then at the end of it you'll be able to see your certifications so we're gonna bring up uh, designing small group products we bring this up and we click on Wall Certificate, and that's going to give me the CE certificate I need in order to maintain status wherever I happen to uh, need CE credits. So I really do encourage, I know that uh, out of our regular listeners, about 40% of you are listening to the episode for CE credits. That's about 60% who are listening out of general interest or whatever it is. Um, And I really think this is an easy way to get your CE credits. 200 bucks a year, pretty reasonable price. And as you can see from the certificate here, so and as you hear me discuss at the beginning of the episode, we have a broad range of approvals for all of our courses. I'd like to thank uh, Joe Tong. Joseph is our editor, both for video and audio content and Joe does a lot of good work to make sure that these episodes look and sound good, despite my better efforts. Um, I'd like to thank uh, Maria Nguyen. Maria makes sure that the episodes all get approved for CE credits. Uh, Veronica Tibert does the quality assurance through that process and then we have a strong marketing team that makes sure that all of our content gets out there so that people can find us and uh, take advantage of learning opportunity they might not have known about.